Like that thing is cool. <laughs> that was as one of those is another option as well. Um, and this, like especially with the K twenty, would have a, a better power to weight ratio. Oh um, yeah. Oh I yeah. Men- I mentioned to you that I mentioned to you though that the um, that this class runs a full. It runs a sorry this series runs like a multi-class grid mm-hmm. so all the cars whether they're in the under two liter class or the over two liter class are on track at the same time i love so it it is absolutely it is absolute chaos it, it um, is gangster as hell i've seen it and for those that don't know um, this is the jordan cox one the like initial d vibing video that went viral yeah like that that's gangster dude i am so hyped i want to see you out there so because of that, I kind of like the idea of having a little bit more car around me, um, especially as we, especially as we're beginning to learn, you know, mm-hmm. um, like because obviously, one lap, one lap pace, and then wheel to wheel sort of um, race driving technique is sort of you know, two different things, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I feel like especially where with a sort of a budget entry into the series, where we would be at pace wise, you know, we'd be in the we'd be in the back somewhere, mm-hmm. um, but we'd find our own. We'd find our own race within that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but there would be just cars coming, like the six-liter cars would just be coming past the front center. So, um, did you guys get the um, two-door version of the eighth-generation Civic? No, we never did. So it's only. Oh yeah, because I know that they're lighter, and I know that even here in the U.S., like um, U.S. Touring Car. Um, uh, of course, GLTC can't go off without talking about, um, well, you know, now I'm blanking on the driver's name. Sorry about that, boss, because I constantly message the guy. But, uh, yeah, um, that that chassis um, is really good. The only thing that I've noticed from that one is, for some reason, the rear hubs tend to fail more. I have no idea. Um, my Asian uh fa5 sedan one the rear hubs apparently are way better so i I don't know it's the same part number i don't know if it's like a design where um more water gets into it or just like something some x factor that i'm not uh seeing but yeah I, i think that an east gen obviously you'd gain more parts availability in terms of fenders and stuff like that, that you, or, or as you guys would call them, wings or guards. I don't know. What do you, what do you call the fenders? The... Yeah, guards. Oh, okay, guards. Um, you know, all of those things are a lot helpful, a lot more helpful than, um, you know, like our golden arrow ones because, you know, it's just harder and harder to find. I think um, uh, one of the racers from uh, Northeast Honda Challenge was telling me he bought the last honda um eg like front bumper oem hum front bumper because he told me like yeah they they ran the numbers and they said everywhere else in north america was sold out so he has that one and that's and that's exactly why like if we're talking about mm-hmm. a wheel-to-wheel campaign you know say it will take us a year to print the car and then mm-hmm. so we'd be looking at competing in sort of the two to three seasons after that mm-hmm. um Although we'd love to start with a golden era car, it just parts yeah. availability, and yeah. we'd just be worried about someone taking a quarter out of it every time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, not that you ever want to be blase about um, you know car to car contact, but yeah. 
it's just the reality it just the reality is that it, it could could happen at any time or you make um, a mistake like and, i did and, and you end up in a tire yeah. wall i mean like you you've seen it, that happen all the time like it's a realistic thing and you know i'm still lucky that i am in socal and i find many people who are partying out cars still and i'm able to get them but dude like yeah it, it, it sucks when you you look at um having to essentially buy another car just to get like a quarter panel or hoods or stuff like that and our junkyards the the records i guess as you guys call them over there um they're, the pricing is starting to go up, and I'm just like, wow! Like these are like prices we we wouldn't expect. And much like you were saying with the D series, like now our D series are going for prices that are more expensive than a K series. And I'm just like, what the actual f is going on? Like the engine that I'm going to be running, the K20Z3, um. They came off of the base model RSX and EP3. Like, I can find those for maybe around 500 bucks. But if I'm trying to find the comparable single cam engine that isn't, like, completely destroyed, it's it's not there. So, oh, no, did you freeze? I think you froze. No, he froze, guys. Sorry, sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me get him back on there. Let's see. Ah! But yeah, I mean, it is something that is kind of hard. And you don't want to be in that situation where you just can't get parts. So, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no, I lost honed. Um, but yeah, guys. Um, as I get this guy back on. I'm trying to connect. Trying to connect. I don't know what's going on. Why don't I have Wi-Fi's? Let's see what's going on here, guys. Technical difficulties uh, from calling somebody um, halfway around the world. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to keep this all in. Connected without internet. No! Dang. So yeah, guys, uh, <laughs> we're we're running into some technical difficulties, and let me see if I can kind of diagnose this. But you know, it is rather sad um, that we are in that situation. And ah, sorry about that. It looks like my Wi-Fi got disconnected. Thank you, Spectrum. Oh no. <laughs> Um, did we lose anything? Oh, uh, I, I kept on talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, like, dude, uh, knowing that you have aspirations for wheel to wheel, um, I guess this is one uh, thing that I could kind of uh, redirect this uh, interview a little bit and ask you, what questions do you have for me? I'm obviously a rookie, but I do um, have I have talked to a lot of wheel to wheel guys, and I can kind of lean off of their um their kind of experience to find out a little bit more about like what questions you may have about going wheel to wheel versus you know sprint racing i guess um 
probably just have the main like the main general one which would be how does how does your driving really differ from like trying to set just a fast lap um and to preface that by saying when you know, when you're trying to set a fast lap you're looking at optimizing every corner mm-hmm. using the full track whatever line you know the best line that suits your car to suit you know what's coming next on the track that kind of thing um whereas what i assume happens in a wheel-to-wheel situation is you try and drive like that up until you know there's a car in the way basically or mm-hmm. someone's blocking your line or someone's sort of preventing you from having that full flexibility um is that sort of the way that it feels is that the way that it plays out so what i've i we're lucky in nasa especially in our class um we race with spec miata um spec mx5 which is again miatas um and spec 944 so we're for instance uh, this past uh event we were doing button willow 13 counterclockwise fastest laps we're like in the 207 206 uh range i'm horribly slow because of what we've talked about my car being overweight open diff yada 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 racer excuses but um so i was doing like about a 214 so quite a bit off pace but what i find um with multi-class racing which is what you would be doing with those uh big six liters is you got to be able to capitalize when they're coming through so when you're out there doing wheel to wheel what i found that is incredibly advantageous to me is I talk to the people who are not in my class and talk to them and say, Hey, I'm driving this car. If you come up on me, how would you like me to react? Like, do you want me to give you a point by through there? Um, Do you want me to give you a little bit more space on the inside? And then that way you can go in there so that in and of itself, what you're doing right there is, Let's be honest, everybody's nervous when you come up on a car because you don't know what they're going to do. But now that I've talked to that person, we've now created a bit of a line of trust that I'm extending, hey, I'm willing to help you pass me, communicate what you want, and I'm going to accommodate you. And then that way, when it happens, when you show up and you go in there, He's not looking at like, oh, crap, what is this car going to do? He's like, oh, we talked about this. Let me do what we said. And then when it happens, you build that trust there. So what you can then do, which I was able to capitalize last event, um, was I was able to use lap traffic to pinch my competitor in front a little bit unknowingly. So... um, Ideally, what you're told is you hold your line, the faster car is going to go offline and he's going to pass you. However, if you're like out there and you're not really fighting for a position, it's kind of a dick move to block two people who are like fighting position if you're out of class racing because, you know, like you're you're not going to gain anything from passing these people or slowing them up. So just like be courteous. So... I think one of the biggest things that um, you can learn from wheel to wheel is understanding lap traffic and how you can use that in your um, kind of tool set to help you create passing opportunities. 
aside from that, you know, even though there's like people who are out of your class, there's people at various uh, different levels. I can't imagine that you with a six liter muscle car, uh, you would be able to keep up with them. But there there might be um, somebody out there that you can learn and um, build up from. And, you know, maybe that leads into uh, opportunities doing uh, endurance racing with them. So my biggest takeaway is that, you know, wheel to wheel is incredibly fun. There's no bigger rush that I felt like fighting with somebody for position and being kind and courteous to the other uh, competitors out there and talking to them um, and letting them know that you care about making sure that they feel safe when they come up onto you. I think that's a huge thing and it goes, you know, it pays back in dividends like huge with, uh, you know, the amount of uh, leeway that you get when something goes wrong and you do like a rookie move like I've done going off track and being in the dirt and then coming back on. People are like, oh, yeah, that was kind of like a bonehead move, but it's so and so. He's like, you know, he's trying. He's not really like being a dick about what he's doing out there. So I definitely, I think, is the communication that's necessary with your other competitors. And in terms of lines, obviously you're going to be pinching more corners when you're leading. So that's going to make you slower. But I think one of the biggest things that um, like I've learned from other racers is uh, tire management is huge. So, knowing what lines to take and be a little bit more conservative with your tires. And it's kind of the difference of like, you know, the, the weird uh, scale, scale that we have of going 10 tenths into one corner and holding a specific line where you're burning up your tires a little bit more, or maybe not burning them up, but overheating them a little bit more um, while you're being chased versus maybe slowing down a little bit and forcing the car to either try this trying to pass you on the outside so they burn up their tires a little bit more and then you could kind of play these kind of mind games of like making your car wide enough in, in the inside line for them to not have an optimum movement in there uh, to pass you while still maintaining your speed and not overkilling your tires so it's a lot of mental aspect of it which I'm still learning I'm still having to figure out, like, how to get a good start because that's always, like, a crappy thing for me, like, with open diff and all my excuses. So I, I think... And you're doing... um, you, And you start from a grid? You don't do, like, a roll? So, so far, we're, we've been doing uh, rolling starts. There are standing starts, but those can be a little bit hairy. Um, yep. So, yeah, definitely practicing standing starts would be uh, a big thing. And figuring out at what uh, RPM you're going to be lighting your tires up versus what RPM you're going to be like maybe jumping a little bit. So yeah, that that stuff that I would recommend people look up uh, CBR um, Carlos. He has like really good little um, tidbits of what he does where he like rides the brakes while he's like full throttle, um, so that he's building up some temp into the brakes at the start realizing that um, if you have like a breaking point for like a certain corner or whatever, um, and if you're like, I always break at the rumble strips, 
and if it's uh, the the main straight, if you're going out there at a race start, you're going to be going a lot slower, so you could break a lot deeper and go a little bit wider since your cars are going to be fighting for position. So you could give up the inside, which is probably not the way that you would think it's a, a, a good move, but you could go deeper on the outside, swing out wider, and I, I'll, I'll send you some video of uh, me doing that at a start and, you know, not fighting for the inside. And I was able to, you know, gain like five or six car lengths on the pack. And, yeah, there there's a lot of little little nuances that um, help out there. But it's honestly, man, like after finishing the race um, and passing Bill and coming back out, like we both hopped out of our car laughing and gave each other a hug. And we're like, that was so much fun just being nose to tail. I, I'm still – I'm almost done rendering the full race, so I'll post up a YouTube link for that one so you can see my – 20 minutes of mediocrity <laughs> but uh yeah that's that's like dude like the the amount of trust and care that you take with uh somebody that you're you know door to door with is is i i can't i can't put it to words oh, cool thank you for going through that like i think that's a great example of what i enjoy so much about your podcast is that the because you're uh, relatively like early in your journey as well things that you say are so much more applicable and relatable to like kind of like where i'm looking to go or hope probably many of your listeners as well like i can shoot consume a lot of like car related media and when you talk about like an interview with a gt3 or a gte driver or something like that they're so good and they've been doing it for so long that mm -hmm. when someone asks them questions about how they drive or what they do they don't mention any of the like low level common sense stuff that is really interesting to to me at least because it's it's just like they're doing all that stuff subconsciously mm -hmm. um whereas yeah like some of the things that you just went through it's like you know directly actionable thing to think about like well, straight there um so yeah thank you for that oh man um having a compliment yeah, I mean, from really you the way that is huge that. yeah and you know, it, it, and we we've talked about this uh, a little bit before the podcast, and in, in the uh, when it comes to like the next generation, and this conversation we've I, I'm sure you've we, we've we've been talking about this, where it's like you know as critical as some people are of the next generation, um, part of the race that I was I was a part of is. Um, the mixed class racing, there's also a Mazda Teen Challenge in there. So they're in the MX-5 cars, if I remember correctly. And, dude, these are like 14, 15-year-old guys. And holy crap, they are fast. I gave one of them a point buy on like a high-speed sweeper corner. And I just like opened the inside for him. And he went through it flying like the car is like loose like it's dancing 
as he's passing me and I'm looking at that the car's pointing left the next corner is one that you like hop the berm on the right and he just like twitches it back over to the right hops the curb has like three wheels in the air and just like buried in there and you you see him come out and you're like oh this guy's like a middle school kid like oh man and then it really puts to perspective of what like what you're talking about gt3 drivers they're at they've been doing this for so long and such a high level like those little things he wouldn't really talk about like oh yeah i passed the civic on the inside and yeah the car got a little loose but i knew what it was doing that's not going to register to him no um and like the world that they're in like the world of Mm. sort of like pro and pro-am and gentleman mm-hmm. drivers and sort of the endurance racing and stuff they do um it's it's awesome it's aspirational for us for sure but it is just so different to the world that we sort of play in with our cars mm-hmm. um, but uh yeah it's all different levels i'm sure i mean i would love to be involved in that thing if i had the budget for it but i but i don't and so mm-hmm. um i just maximize the enjoyment from from the cars that I do, mm-hmm. um, that I do have, and the community that I am in. Yeah, I mean, that's really the the thing is that you're constantly pushing yourself and trying to evolve as a driver. And as long as you do that, as long as you're setting a bar that's not just harder but also attainable, um, you'll always improve as a driver. I mean. There's been moments where I've been in the car and I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is such a bad idea. What am I doing? Like, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. Like, I don't belong here. Like, there's so many people that are way more talented and and driven. But, like, you know, while there is a lot more people who are way more talented and uh, as drivers, like, they're not as big fans of Honda's. They're just using that as a means to an end. And I really like Hondas. Like from my teenage years working at auto detail and taking seats out, pressure washing them and putting them back and having to compare that to like the Chevys and the Fords and dealing with, you know, how heavy the seat brackets are and how unfinished and deburred they are. And you cut yourself on them the mix mash of bolts where like the Honda, I always know, Oh, it's going to be a 12. Oh, it's going to be a 14. Like if someone gives me a 15 working on a Honda, I'm like, get out of here. What are you doing? Like, I mean, those are the little nuances that I care about. And I enjoy about these chassis. And it's one of the reasons why I learned Japanese and studied abroad over there. And why I'm racing these cars is, because I, I, I like the the product. I'm a real big fanboy of it. And when I see people like yourself that are taking the time and dedication to make these parts, I, I of course, feel like, you know, like, dude, these guys are dope. And I fully enjoy seeing all your posts, uh, constantly reading up and trying to figure out how to not suck at what I do. <laughs> I mean, with the content that we put out there, we try and we try and like mix and match like some like just a cool photo, like something about taking a car to a track, and then like oh, here's a bit of a, like a, a knowledge drop, or like here's just like mm-hmm. sharing of something. Um, 
something like the information you might have used to find on a forum, but that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Traffic's so low, it might as well not exist anymore. Um, so we're trying to like still try and get that information mm -hmm. out there um, about you know whatever the subject might be, um, whether it be like talking about uh, you know bump steer or alignment settings or rear mm -hmm. toe and like how these things affect your car and all this sort of stuff. Um, and that seems to get well received. Um, yeah. And it, look, it definitely takes time to put all those things together, but um, I think it helps, like helps. Um, like, uh, how would you say it? Like, it's giving back uh, to the community. Yeah, it's trying to give it back. Yeah, couldn't have put it better. Um, have you seen the? Um, speaking of things that don't really make a lot of sense, but you do for the you do for the love of it. Have you seen our um, our third gen, the little uh, the eighty seven? Dude, um, I love that thing. That thing is so cool, man. Like, I, I was hitting you up about that exhaust because I've been trying to, like, find out, like, different ways of getting lightweight. And I'm like, man, like, that's so cool. The side exit exhaust. It reminds me of, like, you know, like, um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, British uh, Touring Car Challenge. And when I see, like, the CTRs driven by Matt Neal and Gordon Shedden and right now Dan Camish uh, with the little puff off on the side. I'm just like, oh, man, that's so cool. So when I saw that one, I'm like, dude, that's gangster stuff. Like, yeah, I, I love it. That's cool. So when, when we bought that car, it was a it was five thousand dollars and it came with the trailer. So it was it was a car and a trailer. For five <laughs> Woo! And so that's pretty cheap. That's pretty cheap, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it turned up, and it was like so rusty, it was so <laughs> rough, and it, was, and it had had like a crazy fuel system in it that had like copper plumbing fittings in it, and <laughs> um, had some real questionable things. And but you know, we sort of had that. We just had this like vision of what we wanted. Those mm -hmm. cars are pretty rare. Um, and it had the, it's got a, the twin cam D series in it. So it's, I think it's a D16 A3. Oh, like, okay. a, like a ZC or like the first generation Integra mm -hmm. motor, um, which is a pretty cool little unit. Mm -hmm. um, and our sort of like eventual goal for that is to have it set up with like a lumpy cam and uh, lumpy cams and running on um, carbs. So just like full old school, and um, and uh, and yeah, so we're you know we're working towards that with it. Um, I had it out at, um, on track the other week, and it's just hilarious to drive. It compared to the compared to the later cars, like compared to the double wishbone cars, mm -hmm. when you turn in when you turn in with that thing, it just it like takes a set to like one position. It like rolls and tips and stops and then, and then that's it. Um, and you just drive it around <laughs> the corner from there and it does it consistently in both directions. Um, and yeah, it's just funny. Um, and just drive it with like very little mechanical sympathy and <laughs> just a seat time cast. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but that's an example of like, there's not a huge market for those no. generation of Civic. Um, and would our time have been better spent maybe working on something newer? Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe, but we just we just really like that. So that's, that's what we did. <laughs> and, and you know, that's something that I have a lot of respect for um, 
you guys over there in Australia, from what I've seen, and I don't know if you ever watched this uh, movie. Obviously, it's not a, a Australian, but um, it's uh, the fastest Indian with uh, I, I forget <sighs> the guy who did a uh, freaking um, Silence of the Lambs. But yeah, dude, the ingenuity that I see coming out from like the Kiwis, the Australians, from um, what was it, Hondata, you know, doing the hot rotting as they call it, um, and coming out with all of the information that do. I mean, like, dude, like those are the type of people that are like, here's a problem, here's, you know my best shot at a solution and they just work at it even even though it's like it doesn't make sense to work on these cars the the amount of passion like to me it, it's it's just huge and seeing you guys passionate about that like dude that makes me like smile ear to ear and just knowing that you guys do dope stuff like that it's just awesome um yeah, that that's really super endearing to me, and I, I I just love it. I hope you guys continue to do that. That's dope. Maybe with a fit, that would be sick. That would be sick. <laughs> it'll be it'll be yeah one of those three chassis we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we'll pick up and we'll um, yeah apply the same kind of thing. What we'll we'll probably do in that case is um, like we'll get the car, we'll get it to a cage guy. Um, we'll get it all caged before we really pull it apart and deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll we'll probably take an approach of like sort of doing like the bare minimum we need to get into the series. So mm-hmm. whatever that is, drivetrain wise, obviously all the safety equipment. Um, but our emphasis would be on like getting into that wheel to wheel environment sort mm-hmm. of as quickly as possible, and then sort of just learning what we need from there, um, and then. Yeah, because I think that's just the best way to do it. Like, yeah, if you try and like over prepare, like build a car and then over prepare it, it just I feel like it wouldn't be an authentic sort of experience. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, I think uh, with wheel to wheel, one of the big things that you can do to kind of help you guys out, since it's usually two of you, I'm guessing, is try and get a a, a good uh, comms system. Uh, communication that's very helpful because uh, on Sunday for my race with those Mazda Team Challenge and the Spec Miata guys, they're they're so much at a knife edge. Like with those cars, they were going off, and there was at least three different uh, times. And since it's super dry um, at the track that we're out, it was just a giant dust cloud, and it was like five seconds I could not see in front of me, and. So you're talking about having someone acting as a spotter for you? Exactly. Yeah. Because if I knew, hey, there's nothing in front of me or the car's on the inside not moving, then I know, okay, blast through this dust. And because of that, uh, and again, I'm I'm racer excuses, um, I think that gave my lead that I had on uh, Bill, who was uh, my my competitor, because I passed him fa- fairly early, early in the in the race, and you know, after going through three of those dust clouds, like yeah, he was further back, so maybe he got a little bit less time where he was blind, and started closing that gap a little bit more as I'm trying to run away, burning up my tires like in like a noob, and 
ended up making a mistake uh second to last corner of the race and uh on the last lap and just went for second went into fourth and just roop into the dirt so yeah um I I think having a spotter can help out a lot, especially when you have stuff coming on there. And, you know, obviously remembering that you both are looking at things from different directions. So always say, hey, this is on the inside of the corner instead of, hey, on your left, this is coming up. Oh, my left or your left? (laughs) So, yeah, comms. um, That's that's a great suggestion. We have a a guy that... um, is actually a he's he works for in V8 supercars as well, but basically he's like a race engineer. Mm-hmm. And um, he uh, I worked with him in my in my day job. Mm-hmm. And, um, he I knew I knew he was a car guy, and I'm like, hey, look, I know you normally you normally uh, you know crewing for these uh, V8 supercars, but how would you like to come and um, just help us out with data and tire temps and stuff like that at um, one of our like test and tune days? And he's like, yeah, sure, and um, so we've done a couple of events with with him there in the pits, and uh, it's been a massive a massive help. Like Dude. trying to drive trying to drive the car, prep the car, pull the data out every session. It's just it's too much for like mm-hmm. one person, or um, like especially if Tom and I have both mm-hmm. got our cars at the same event. We just it's yeah. just not that yeah enough, exactly um, bandwidth to go around. And so having having yeah like another person who's just there in that supporting or and or like supporting engineering role um, mm-hmm. was a massive help. So yeah, hopefully we would like roll that that kind of setup through into like what we do with wheels of wheel once we've got it like nicely polished. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty it was pretty funny. Uh, we were at this um, test and tune day, and I would, we wanted to specifically get um, like a lot of tire temperature data. Mm-hmm. We had like a nice parameter setup, and we would. I would go out. I'd do two laps. I'd come back in to the pits, roll down the um, roll down the pit lane, stop. The guys would come out, take all the readings, and then wave me on again. But this was like a full amateur day. There was no one else doing anything <laughs> like that. Um, so just getting all these funny looks from the pit lane. Like, hey, you know, we need we need the information, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's no really anywhere else. There's not really any mm-hmm. other way to do it. Um, so that's all. It's all cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I I can't wait to see more information of you guys going out there doing wheel to wheel stuff, and of course sprint racing. Like to me, um, doing time attack. Like, dude, that's like so dope. And the the barrier of entry um, for many people is is so little. So. Of course, uh, any time I have an opportunity to help anybody out, um, mainly beginners on that, um, I'm always down to help. And um, you know, it, it's just it's just so much fun, and I can't wait for you to partake in that um, fun. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing um, that improved touring car challenge because that thing is so cool. Just having A86s out there and old Celicas um racing wheel to wheel with you i mean that is so cool so yeah man like um i I don't know man like with doing this podcast i never hoped to really be talking to people 
outside of the world <laughs> of my little community and the fact that not only I have some people who are um, available to talk to me, but also like listening to my nonsense is, is just like super humbling and kind of like nerve wracking because I'm like, oh, I need to try harder. I need to do better. And ah, putting a little stress on myself to make um, better content and better, better um I, I don't know just do better and yeah like i, I just it's, hope it's that interesting you, it's interesting you say that because are you aware that there's like a real sort of move in the in the content world to like more authentic like the more authentic it can be the better and in a way i think you're like you're all you're already there like you're 100 percent authenticity so like so like like I think you would actually fire like if you just keep doing what you're doing. Oh <laughs> man, everyone dude! Else is, everyone else is going to come. Oh, going to come to like try and get to your level of authenticity <laughs> because the the reason that I say that is like um like uh, look at YouTube videos, the trends of YouTube videos. Like mm-hmm. no one really watches like the overproduced like big music, still cars, mm-hmm. like cars sliding around. People aren't really watching that anymore. They're mm-hmm. more watching like um sort of you know like like cletus's content like it's very mm-hmm. like just hand guy walking around with a hand cam mm-hmm. working on stuff or um just that people want to i guess to feel like they're along the along the um along the way for the journey yeah um, and you know when when you talk about fitting a sway bar to your car like that's a step along your journey and, and people can, and so many people have done that same thing so they're like yeah i remember when i did that um it's very relatable so yeah it's very relatable um, yeah it when when guys talk about getting their third cup car it's like yeah cool it, i can't relate to that <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a lot more people that are that can relate to putting the sway bar than getting the third cup car but yeah man dude that's that's uh, man that's such a huge compliment and thank you for that i mean i i think i've been very lucky that you know one of the other things that I would recommend uh, anybody else do is that, like anything, and it's kind of like an old um, thing that your parents tell you, is surround yourself with good people. And when I started out, I surrounded myself with my buddy John Lindemann, who pretty much taught me how to heal and tow, all of these little things, and... You know, I constantly look back to my group of friends and I'm always inspired by not necessarily what they accomplish, but how much they are able to do with the very little resources they can. Like I look at my buddy Jeff Jones, who's a pro uh, drifter now, but I remember him as the guy going to the junkyard, building up his car up from there and competing in Formula Drift was like the most unreliable like shoestring together RX-7s. And I look at my buddy Calvin, who's now finally been convinced to start recording some of the stuff that he does. Um, and and I see like how much they're able to do with the very little stuff they, they get in there. And to me, like people like Calvin, people like Jeff Jones, to be a wrench and to be as good of a driver as they are, which I still think they're way better 
at uh, driving than I am. Um, it, it's just like, dude, like I always look at them and go like, man, I could do better. I can do, you know, just try a little bit harder. And I don't, it's not an issue of money. It's an issue of just giving a little bit more um, in that. And, you know, I, I, if you enjoy those type of contents, you should look up uh, Kelvin Areola because, man, like, the, the the saying that he has, I have a grinder and a welder. Don't tell me it doesn't fit. Like, <laughs> I'm going to make this work. <laughs> oh, man. You had, um, uh, you had some questions about, like, um, the way that, I guess, sort of some more, like, business-related questions for home. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to field those? So obviously I some people that know me a little bit better know that I work in the biomedical field and obviously the tolerances uh for manufacturing um is really high and the failure rate of uh devices is a uh, kind of like cr- intensely critical to the field of work that I that I'm in, involved so when I see manufacturing uh, happening, I kind of have a different uh, perspective of it. And I see the quality of the products that you guys make uh, from that uh, BBK um, bracket where you're adding steel inserts uh, and your upper control arm that you have that jagged tooth there so that it doesn't slip. I mean, those those kind of like finesses on there, it's the the overall idea is great but talk to me a little bit about the difficulties of maintaining the quality because anybody can make a one good product it's the consistency of making that uh quality and how hard it can be so um so my background so i'm uh, like university qualified mechanical engineer um and then once I got out of university, I my previous experiences were working in um, like service and uh, big like automated machine design. Then I did a few years in the um, biomedical industry, designing automated um, like uh, blood testing equipment and things like that. And then um, I also have done a couple of years uh, working as like a uh, in the automotive, um, not. Uh, in an OE, but in a uh, accessory manufacturer, oh, okay. um, so like a tier one, tier one mm-hmm. supplier uh, adjacent to, to OE. So as I went through those different industries, I picked up different like sort of values and skills. Um, mm-hmm. So coming from the coming from the sort of industrial machine um, realm, that's where I really learned about like tolerances and um like how to design things so they will always go together and how to design things so that they um with like an appropriate level of safety factor and things like that Mm -hmm. um then from the biomedical industry i was exposed to something you might be aware of which is like the whole um good manufacturing process where you have like for every like requirement that you that you uh, that you have for your product you have a corresponding like validation plan for that so before you release your product or before you release your machine you can say like this is the requirement that we wanted and here's the test that we did that validates that we meet that requirement Mm -hmm. and until all of those things are met 
we don't build this machine. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, and then the other thing I picked up from the medical industry was the whole um, like failure mode analysis type work. So where you go through and you say, you look at all the different ways that a product or a machine or whatever it is could fail. And then you um, identify like what your mitigating you know, uh, response to that might be. Um, and so, uh, and then from the automotive sense, that was like, okay, say we, um, say we have a really great design, um, how then what the automotive industry is really good at is working out, like we've identified what we want and we've done as much work in the design phase to make sure that that's the right product. And it's not going to fail from any inherent mm-hmm. design related things. How do we make sure that when we ask for someone to make that, they actually make it they actually make exactly what we've asked for mm-hmm. and um that doesn't vary you know from month to month and, and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so um being able to take a little bit of all of that experience and then mm-hmm. sort of roll that into um into a much smaller like niche product mm-hmm. type business which honed is um that is that is the reason why uh, we, we're able to sort of do what we do um what we do on a like a really practical sense is um we sort of apply sort of smaller versions or maybe like we take the 80 percent value of, of all those processes that i was exposed to in those larger industries and we apply them to an order like to an aftermarket product and why our products sort of look and feel different to other people is typically like some of our competitors either don't get exposed to engineering at those other levels Mm. Um, or they are businesses that have been created because the guy was a machinist and mm-hmm. he knows how to make things out of aluminium. And so every product he makes is a part out of aluminium that he machines on his mill. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I've got a lot of respect for those guys. They work hard. There's absolutely nothing. Directly, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not taking anything away from them, but it's sort of like, yeah, they they are looking at, solutions and products through that lens of like i have a mill i will make the product on my mill so therefore my my solution looks like something that can be made like it has their their products have a um uh they have like an they they have like a um uh, what's the best word to use like a they have that history or they have that they have that um they're driven by their manufacturing method Mm -hmm. whereas we design our products and solutions and then we will employ and contract any manufacturing, the correct or the most appropriate manufacturing method that we, mm. that we can find. So if that's, if that's milling, if that's turning, if that's um, plastic backforming, if that's um, whatever that process might be, mm-hmm. um, we don't have those processes in house. We, we contract those, mm-hmm. but, what that means is that we're not limited by what we can do. So mm-hmm. a good example of that is like the, the service finishes that we, or corrosion resistance that we apply to our parts. Mm-hmm. We use the same, we use the same um, e-coding and, um, and, uh, and zinc plating that any OE part would have, like literally through the same, mm. same parts that those, that those kids are. Um, and like the machining, our, our part designs, our part drawings have like the same level of tolerance call out and checking and all that is 
parts for those other industries. So that's dope. Yeah, that's that's kind of how we're able to do that. Yeah, that's. And then we. Uh, sorry. No, that's that's like. I mean, combining those two industries is is really hard um, because, like, you you know, as it's really easy to vilify uh, companies for certain prices that they go in there, but the amount of R and D, the the focus on um, having things meet a certain quality and having to be stringent on that is really difficult and time consuming. So yeah, like it's, it's really amazing that you're at your level doing that high level type of, you know, especially when you started talking about failure analysis, I'm like, Oh boy, like I, I know all about that. Yeah. But and like who, who in the automotive aftermarket is doing that for their product? Like, yeah. No one. Um, yeah. And Who's doing like like um one one business I could pull out who's oh, I think does a great job like uh, the guys at um, Acuity like with their you've mm-hmm. seen them post pictures of their mm-hmm. like shifted test rigs and stuff like that's awesome like mm-hmm. the fact that they're doing cyclical testing to um to make sure that they're not seeing um bushes wear out and mm-hmm. shifter makers and stuff is is really really cool um and yeah we tried we tried to also have a validation plan for each mm-hmm. uh, product where we can, whether that's like a, you know, destructive overload test or mm-hmm. whether that's going on a vehicle and doing an, an X amount of hours, um, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Yeah. Cause I mean, uh, manufacturers like Porsche do that as well. Like they have, um, parts that are designed to run like the Nürburgring for 24 hours without a failure and they're tested to that level. And I mean, you can go back to, I mean, it's in the movies, but I imagine there's still like there's some truth to it. Like Shelby, when they were building the car uh, to beat a Ferrari, they were doing the testing of like how how what kind of load the car is going to be on uh, for that race and seeing where it's where the weak points are and how to change uh, certain things to do on there. And yes, destructive testing is so good to find. Uh, failure points but it is so time and time and labor and just cost intensive um because sometimes you know what is it it's like don't ask questions you don't want answers to because sometimes you're going to find out that hey man like i know you love this idea but it failed spectacularly and you got to go back to the drawing board and that may not be what you want and for a certain percentage, maybe in the bell curve, um, up to like 90%, this might be uh, good, but that little extra one is going to be a spectacular failure. And that's all you need is one spectacular failure and people are going to start doubting it. So the fact that you guys are that in tune to these um, manufacturing processes, it it, it really um, says a lot about your guys' uh, products thank you like we do um so like another thing like with our products um particularly yeah like related to the finishes and stuff we we'll have like the machine parts produced 
from one supplier, but that supplier is not a specialist in applying corrosion coatings. Right? Mm-hmm. So then that part has to go then to a third, you know, to, to, to a third or a fourth place to have those coatings applied. Then it has to come back to us. Then we have to do um, apply the etching. Then we have to um, you know, package it and um, QC it. So every time a part has to then be touched by another set of hands or another business. That's a variable. Another cost is incurred. Yeah. Um, now, how how maybe other businesses would do it is they would do the manufacturing in house, like particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to like an aluminium part, and then they would sell it with. Um, they would design it so that it basically comes out of the machine and then they sell it. So mm-hmm. it may not be anodized. It may not have any other coatings or any other processes applied to it. Um, and they just put it in a box once it comes out of the machine. You know, they mm-hmm. clean it, they check it, they put it in a box. Um, that's that's really great if you can do that, um, if you have that vertical integration with machines being inside your business. Um, that can help you be, you know, bring products out quickly and things like that. But, um, yeah, like ultimately, though, that part's going to get aluminum corrosion on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to oxidize in an engine bay or it's going to... If it's under a car and that car gets used on salty roads, it's going to corrode. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult to, you know, assemble or disassemble or work with in the future. So, um, it's not really things that I've usually like promoted and talked about on a website, but mm-hmm. we just have that level. Of, we just like feel strongly about it. Like, mm-hmm. We want to have all our parts be have that level of corrosion resistance. So, all the fasteners that we supply. Um, you know, we think about that. They're all selected for mm-hmm. um, the coatings they have on them, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's why you say this is a passion project. And, you know, those kind of things are not like the sexy part of uh, making parts is talking about the type of bolts that you use. But, you know, as somebody who's taking st- stuff apart when you don't have to use like, a nine sixteenths bolt on on a Honda or whatever, and you can see like, oh, this is a fourteen. Oh, okay. I, I feel like the guy actually tried and cared, and yeah, like again, I'm looking forward to spending more money on th- stuff that you make. <laughs> um, yeah, like uh, you mentioned, like we've talked about a couple of times about the the Porsche brake kit. Mm-hmm. Another reason why we why we go with Porsche, the, the, uh, and the XOE part is that when that part was originally homologated on its original car, that car would have done uh, 10,000 hours mm-hmm. um, severe brake testing. And, and that caliper, that exact specific caliper, mm-hmm. has passed those things. Um, there's no way that we could replicate that level of testing uh, yeah. in, in the aftermarket. So that you're just piggybacking off of uh, things that you know work well. So, man, you know, talking to you just makes me realize how much I really want to go back out and travel again. Like, I've met so many Australians when I was uh, out in uh, Japan at, like, hostels and whatnot for when when I met some people out there and they were out on holiday. And I always enjoyed talking to them, talking about making corny references to uh, Crocodile Dundee and asking if that was a knife or if uh, how, how many Fosters they drink a, a day. And, you know, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, 
Yeah, I got. I enjoy corny dad jokes, but like, you know, I, I've really had nothing but like good experiences with people from Australia, and the fact that I meet somebody who's into not only Hondas but also the single jingle life. I mean, it's it's really cool. So thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on here and talking. And this is a massive episode. I think I'm going to have to split this into two. <laughs> but yeah, dude, like I, I could probably go on and on uh, for hours with you. But um, dude, uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being a listener, which is freaking wild to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for all that you do for the community, all the articles. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you do wheel to wheel and Anytime there's anything I can do to help, I'm more than happy to. And I'm sure I'm going to be bugging you for certain uh, stuff and torque specs for that uh, caliper things. And, you know, like, yeah, man. Um, once I save up some money, I'm also going to be looking at getting your upper control arms because those things look so cool. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, it's great to be able to contribute to this podcast, which, as you said, I've been listening to for a while. And um, yeah, we'll we'll do what we can to to spread this out to, to our other followers as well, and hopefully get you some more subs. And um, thank yeah, you. Continue to have a continue to have a you know, a cool community based around these exactly uh, these cars that we like. Exactly. And with that, guys, I will see you next Monday. Um, obviously, follow Hone Developments if you guys are into any any Honda level of. Uh, competition road racing what have you get the part that's going to last you a good while and it's not going to have a failure point and it's built by people who really do care and really do uh, the type of uh, events that we all do so support the people that support um, our hobbies and with that thank you and have a good day Thank you.